0: I'm already raspy, sorry. We just got back from camp. My name is Nate Dooley. I'm the next-gen pastor, which means I lead our student ministry as well, and my voice is already gone. I'm sorry. We just got back from camp, and I lost my voice. So if you hear today me squeaking a little bit, I'm not going through adulthood puberty. Um, I just lost my voice a little bit, so it's a little raspy, so please forgive me. Hey, thank you so much for being here. It is going to be an unbelievable day. Are you ready to hear from the Lord? I am as well, and I'm excited about what God wants to do in Church Unlimited across all our campuses. So We want to thank our 11 campuses for joining us today, especially our God Behind Bars guys. It's exciting to have them a part of this. So, church, listen, God showed up this week. We took, uh, last week, or we got back a couple days ago, and, and we really prayed that God would do something big. Here's a couple of prayers that I had. Last year, we took 283 students. And I got here and I told our student staff, I said, guys, we're going to take 500 students, no excuses. And they said, Nate, do you realize you're an idiot? I said, yes, I I realize that. But at the same time, we're going to take 500 students. We took 565 students to campus week. It was unbelievable. And I also prayed, I believe in very specific prayers. I think God wants to hear our heart, and he says that in scripture. And I said, Lord, I, I really pray for 200 people to be saved because I want to put a big dent in that 2020 that Pastor put on the big board a couple weeks ago. And I said, I'm praying for 200 people to be saved. We saw 220 people surrender their life to Christ. I said, I said Lord, I want to see 100 people baptized. We're going to have 200 saved to be incredible. 50% of those followed through in, a, in obedience and got baptized. And, and we saw 136 students and adults baptized. <clears throat> And the last thing I prayed, another specific prayer, I said, Lord, listen, this is going to be a miracle, but I pray that you give me eight to nine hours of sleep a night. <laughs> so I got about three. And a good night, I got about two. So it was a, it was a rough week, but it was very, very exciting watching God work as well. Um, and so, so here's the thing. God showed up in a huge way, and pastor's been saying, he said, this is going to be the summer that changes everything. And so we're believing as a student staff and volunteers that this is going to be the summer that changes everything, starting at camp this past week. And God already did something incredible. So if you didn't join me praying for these students that surrendered their life to Christ, that it will stick and they'll fully understand what it means. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just cry out to you right now on behalf of these students. These 220 students that surrendered their life to Christ and 136 of those that were obedient in baptism. Lord, we just pray that they get the decision that they made, that they understand it. And they begin to walk with you daily at all costs. And Lord, we just thank you so much for what you've done in our student ministry. And I pray that it flows over into our church and it flows out of our church and it reaches the city, the state, this country, and even this world from this summer at this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've worked with Next Gen Ministries for about 17 years. I've done it for a while and I've learned a lot of things. Um, It's very challenging at times. You just want to hug a student and love them. Sometimes you just want to wrap your arm around them and just encourage them. Sometimes you just want to beat them. Um, In the name of Jesus, of course. (laughs) But it, it gets to be challenging at times. But here's the exciting thing, and something that we've got to understand as a church. Someone's always watching. And it's kind of difficult because we don't like to realize that because we just kind of like to do our own thing and be me but the truth is, in our lives, whether you have kids, whether you don't, whether you're single, old, married, whatever you are, someone's always watching. And a verse that I want to share with you guys in, in just a few minutes is Proverbs 22, six. If you'd like to flip there in your Bible, you're welcome to. But here's the thing I want us to understand today and about next-gen students is someone is always watching. I remember when I was in, in college, I went snowboarding, and I, I got off the airplane, I said, hey, Skyler, man, we... We got to go now. Like, I'm ready to go. It's 10 a.m. I've been up early. We are going now. He said, I got to stop by the apartment, grab my snowboard. I said, all right, let's go. So we knock on the door, and it's like music blaring. I'm like, bro, it's 10 a.m. You having a party or what? Like, what's going on? So we open the door. He opens the door to his apartment. We look through the living room, through the hallway. I can see it to this day, unfortunately. I look in a wall mirror, and I look in the mirror, and there's this big, oversized man dancing very inappropriately in his whitey tighties an image that I can't unsee, and I'm not very grateful for it. And so he saw us, and he slammed the door. And something he didn't realize that day is someone was watching him, and I kind of felt like a creeper um, because I'm looking in his room and all that kind of stuff, but it it wasn't something I wanted. Like It's like a train wreck. I'm like, no, stop looking. I can't. But it was a disaster. But at the same time, that's something we need to understand today because we are always leading someone to something. So either you are leading people to Christ or you are leading people from Christ with what you do, what you say, what you post, what you wear, what you listen to, watch, and whatever you do. And here's the thing that we got to understand that is that everything matters because everything communicates something. Everything matters because everything communicates. Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And you could put he or she in that passage. This is just the NIV, uses the word he. Let me repeat that again. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, here's something we got to understand about Proverbs is, a proverb is a short, concise statement with spiritual truth. It's not a guarantee. So it's not saying, do this and 100% it's going to happen. It's poetry. Poetry is a little different, so you got to read it differently, but, it's a pr- but it carries promise. It's not a promise, but it carries promise and it carries truth. It's not a guarantee. And here's the, the thing about this passage I was reading a commentary kind of explaining this passage. This wasn't for sure written just to parents. So if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't have any kids, I'm only 16 years old, like, why are you preaching this message right now? I don't want to hear this. Well, we did a parenting series a couple months ago. This is not to the parents, this is to the church. So I need this message, a 14-year-old message, and a 90-year-old man needs this message. Because we as a church are training up children in the way that they should go every single moment of every single day. So ultimately, we got to understand that the responsibility does fall on the parents. But we've also got to understand is that coaches raise children, teachers raise children, and a church raises children. So the ultimate responsibility falls on the parents, but the ultimate responsibility also falls on us. And we've got to raise up and raise these young people as well. So like I said, I've led students and families for about 17 years. And if we as a church aren't showing them what it looks like to walk with Christ, guess who's going to show them? Their music, Hollywood, Netflix, TV shows. They're going to show them the right way. And the sad thing is they're doing a very good job of showing them the wrong way. And the even sadder thing is we as a church and parents and families and me being a victim of this too, don't hear me preaching at you. I say we a lot because I'm a fellow struggler in this battle. We are doing a good job of allowing Hollywood to train our young people. And it breaks my heart because I see what happened as the result after them developing the philosophy of these movies and this music and it breaks my heart. They're doing a very good job but we are allowing them to, to do it. So, so here's the question I ask us today. Are we sending mixed messages of what it looks like to walk with Christ? Are we sending mixed messages? We're going to have a judgmental second here at Church Unlimited today. How many of you know a very weird Christian? Raise your hand. Yes, I see you all over the room. Yes, you in the back. Excellent. I got you. I know. I understand. Like, there are some crazy Christians out there. I don't know if they're Christians, not for me to judge, but like, I've got a family member, and whenever she opens her mouth about Jesus, I'm like, I don't think we know the same Jesus. Like, girl, you crazy. Like, what is going on with Jesus you're talking about? I'm like looking in the Bible going, man, Jesus does not do that. God's never said that to me. We don't know the same Jesus. And so, like, I I feel judgmental, but at the same time, like, sometimes we send mixed messages. Let me give you a poor example of mixed messages. Let me show you a picture real quick of the back of a car. What happened here? (laughs) This car has identity disorder, if a car ever does. It says, I love Jesus, playboy, blessed, with God all things are possible, playboy, do you follow Jesus this close? You know what? Let's not be judgmental. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I bet it was a Christian that bought the car, and they said, you know what? we got to put the good bumper stickers on, and we'll take the bad ones off later. Like, I don't know what happened, but the problem is we do the same thing. And maybe we're not driving a, a car with bumper stickers of everything under the sun, but at the same time with what we're saying, we're doing, posting, watching, living, looking like, not seeking forgiveness of our past when we know they were mistakes. And so here's what we got to understand is you are telling your kids and students of the church around you that Jesus hasn't changed you. You can believe in God, and that's good. But if Jesus hasn't changed you, then I'm not sure you know Jesus. And that's not for me to judge. I'm not trying to point the finger at you. But at the same time, we've got to understand that what we believe will change us. If you just believe in Christ and don't allow him to change you, it won't change the others around you. When we live changed, it will begin to change the next generation following us. Because the ones that are watching us are usually not the older ones or the the wise ones that are watching us, judging us, even though sometimes we feel like that. It's usually the younger ones. It's the little brothers. It's the little kids in the kids' ministry at church. It's your children, no matter what age they are. And so we've got to raise them up and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus, because when they see that you're the real deal, they're going to follow you. Not that you don't make mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. You ask my kids, they're going to be like, oh, dad's a train wreck. (laughs) And it's the truth. You're either a train wreck or you're waiting to happen. But the truth is, after we wreck and we make a mistake, we come and we own it. And we say, you know what, son? Ministry, church, lobby, whoever, atrium, whoever we're talking to, we need to own whatever is going on because someone is watching and we have to live right. You know what I hear a lot and I say a lot myself? I heard somebody else say it when I was in, I think it was in high school. They said, we need a generation of young people that are going to stand firm in their faith. And I agree. We do. We need a generation of young people that are going to step up and rise up for the name of Jesus. I actually turned that statement around on us. We need a generation of older people, whatever that means. We need a generation of older people that are going to stand up and stand firm in their faith. Because this younger generation, this younger generation is not going to walk with Christ if they don't know what Jesus looks like. And if they're seeing the bumper stickers of your life demonstrating something completely different than what Jesus taught in Scripture, they're not always going to look here because they don't read very much if we're going to be real. They're going to look at your life, and you might be the only Jesus they ever see. And they're going to getting a confused message of what Jesus looks like. We have to train up a child. You have to show our young people, we, excuse me, we have to show our young people what Jesus looks like if we're going to expect them to live like Jesus. Here's a challenge for us, because us, I, I call myself an older older person. I don't know what that means. I just know young people don't call me young anymore, so I can't call myself young. Even though I look at people, and I'm like, man, they're old, and they're like, hey, I'm 30, I'm like, I'm seven years older than them. Like, oh my goodness. Uh, But still, I I think I'm young, I'm not, but so I'll call myself an older person. I'll compare my teenage years to their teenage years. They're nothing alike. How many times have you said, when I was a teen, and whatever you finish that statement with, like, I I say that a lot, like, hey, when I was a teenager, we had this, this, and this, and that sports and school and this and this. Here's what they didn't have, we didn't have changes everything because the temptation and the war, the war that our teenagers are going through because of this thing, it changed, like, I mean, they have access to the world right now in the palm of their hands. Like they could probably plant a bomb in a different country by sending a couple of texts or an app that probably allows that or something. There's probably an app for that. I mean, it's just the craziest thing in the world, but this changes everything. And so we can't expect them to live like us when we were teenagers because they're not us in their teenage years. I remember when I, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, I remember when I got my pager. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Those are the good old days right there. And I'd wear it on my hip and I'd tuck my shirt in and I'd walk like this. What's up? What's up? How's everybody doing? You see my pager? And then like for a while there when I didn't want to wear it on my hip because that turned into like the old people, I'd put it in my pocket and I'd have a gold chain attached to my belt. (laughs) Be like, what's that gold chain? It's my pager. Some girl's paging me. It's my mom. I got to (laughs) go. And then you'd go to a payphone. Remember that? My kids saw that the other day and they're like, dad, it's a spaceship. And I'm like, no, it's a payphone, son. They don't make those things anymore. And you dropped your quarter in. You're like, yeah, mom, I'll be home in an hour. Don't yell at me. My friends are here. shh, I got to go. And, and like, you didn't want to do that, but that was what it was. That was us back then. Pagers are completely different than cell phones today. They can do anything. We couldn't do anything. We can't expect them to be the same as we were because they're living in a completely different generation. Train up a child in the way they should go. And that's the church's responsibility as well as the church. Listen, I know God's got something for me every single day. Same with you. God's got something for you every single day. And, and I don't want to miss it. Like, I'm really big. I'm like, I have the fear of missing out. Like, I don't want to miss anything. Like, sometimes I won't take a nap because I'm like, I might miss something in my house, even though everybody's on vacation and nobody's here. Like, I just think that I'm going to miss something. I don't want to miss what God has for me. And so I challenge you with this. This is something that kind of a standard we have in our family. It's a expect they're expected to be in church every single Sunday, Like, I don't let our kids miss church because I want them to experience all that God has for them, and I don't want to miss it. When when I was in college, somebody challenged me. They said, hey, man, why weren't you at church? Oh, man, I was sleeping. It was late night. I just missed one week, and they were like, why? I was like, well, I was sleeping. I was tired. I just told you. And they said, hey, man, why don't you make it a personal goal to never miss church again? That was about 21 years ago, I think. And since that day, I've only missed church like three times. Not because it makes me a Christian. Not because I'm going to be a better Christian. I just don't want to miss what God has for me. And so I encourage you as the parent, as the family, as the the, the church, to encourage your young people. Don't give them a vote in church. They need to be there because we uphold that. And, and, And this is why. It's our job to be obedient, to train our kids and leave the results up to God. I don't want them to miss it with us, with our lives, with our children. When God gives me a task, I want to give it, I want to get it right. And we have a God-given task as the church and as the parents, all of the above, to train up a child in the way they should go. It's crucial. They need us. And and, and teenagers and students today and kids and all ages, they need you, listen, until I say honestly, until they're about 20 years of age. You're like, you're out of touch. Well, that's fine. I can be out of touch. I say until about 20 years of age, parents, you need to make certain decisions for them. like, well, are you ever going to let them live out on their own? Yeah, my kids do a lot on their own. They're only seven and eight years old. I encourage you, don't give them a vote on coming to church. I've been in the the lobby in the atrium of several different churches, and I'll say, hey, why don't you come to kids ministry? And they'll look at their three-year-old or four-year-old and say, do you want to go? I'm not going to give my three- or four-year-old a vote because the answer of whenever I say, do you want to do something? The answer is no, every single time. It's like, do you want $100? No. Oh, wait, yeah, yes, I do. Like, they just, that's their automatic response. They're flesh living out in them. I've got that in me too. But at the same time, I don't want to give my kids a vote because I don't want them to miss what God has for them every single week. And so, so let me ask you a question. Before I ask you that, let me ask you this. If, if they go to church, which is good, we want you here, but at the same time, we want them in kids' ministry We want them in student ministry to experience others pouring into them. There's going to be a day, your kids may be perfect, mine aren't. Your kids may be perfect and they listen to you all throughout the years of teenage and beyond. That's a very rare situation. Most teenagers stop listening to their parents. We as a student ministry want to come alongside you and say the same thing that you've said throughout the years. And before you know it, they're listening to you through another godly voice. And so that's one of the great things about having a kid's ministry and a student ministry. So let me ask you a question. Rhetorical question, please don't answer. And this is convicting to me as I was preparing these notes. This, this kind of hurt me. Do you make your kids go to school? Do you make your kids go to sports practice and sports game when they made a commitment two months ago when they signed up for the league? Do you make your kids go to work when they have a job and they made a commitment and they signed the dotted line to work at McDonald's, wherever they work? Do you make them go? Absolutely. I do too. Listen, I- I'm a big advocate of education. I've got my, uh, my college degree. I got a master's degree. I never made good grades. It was pretty dumb when it came to school. But at the same time, I love my education and I'm proud of it. I don't want my kids to miss a moment of that. You might look at me and say, man, I bet this guy played like college sports um, I know I probably look like a quarterback or like a center for a basketball team. I really appreciate the compliment. Um, I feel that way about myself too when I look in the mirror. Um, but at the same time, like I want my son, like Deacon, he plays baseball and plays a couple sports right now. He's only seven, so he's learning. I want him to be the best one on the team. I want him to get a college uh, grad- I mean, I'm sorry, a college scholarship to play sports. Like I want him to be the best. But then I gotta ask myself, what's more important? A relationship with Christ or play a sport that they're probably going to play until about 18 or 19 years old. You know, my friend was having a conversation with the coach, and the coach said, he's going to be there Sunday morning. And the dad said, man, we, we got church. I mean, he'll be at everything, and, and he's, a, he's good on the team, so he's going to earn the, the starting spot no matter what. And he says, hey, man, I'm not going to be there Sunday morning. I'm sorry. I've got a commitment in my relationship with Christ. Not a legalistic thing, like I said, but then listen to what he said. The coach said, Brian, if you want your son to play pro sports, this is when the training starts. He's nine. Listen to what the dad said. Coach, my son has not Listen to these statistics and let them ring. My son has a 90% chance of being addicted to porn, an 80% chance of abandoning, abandoning his faith after graduation, over 50% chance of getting a divorce, and a .001% chance of playing in the pros. Where do you think I'm going to spend my time? Wow. Like, he, he told me that, and I'm like, You really said that? And he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, You're a bigger man than I am. I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't say that. I'm like, uh, He'll be there next week, just not this week. Like, I couldn't do that. But at, but at the same time, it's so true. We, we got a 10 year old, 11, even a 14 year old that, that we pour all their time and their life into the things that are important, but they're not going to matter in the long run. And I love sports. I'm one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. I might not play that sport, but I'm going to do anything I can to beat you at it. And I want my son to be the exact same thing. He got in trouble the other day for racing to the front of the line, and the teacher got mad at him, and I said, good job, son. <laughs> and I gave him a five because I, want, I told him, I said, look, winning really is everything, but you got to understand you're going to lose some. I, like, I am very competitive when it comes to sports. I want them to be a part of it, but then I have to ask myself, Is it more important than your relationship with Christ? No. Because when he's 20, 21, maybe plays pro sports, 35, guess what? He's got a long life ahead of him where sports aren't even going to matter. And so that relationship with Christ is the most important. Let me give you some statistics real quick. If we don't reach a student before he or she graduates, listen to the chance that we have of reaching them for Christ. 4%. That hurts. If we don't reach a student before they graduate from high school, they have a 40%. 4% of coming to know Christ beyond that. There's been some recent research, this is about 15 years ago, there's been some recent research that that's gone up to about 23%. But honestly, 4%, 23%, 15%, any of those statistics, I don't want my kids to be a part of that. I want them to come to know Christ before that, and I want them to walk with the Lord daily. I want to raise my kids, not Hollywood, because I don't want my children to spend eternity separated from God, because if Jesus says this in John 14, 6, and he's telling the truth because Jesus never lies, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is saying those words, and he's for real, I don't want my kids to experience anything but that. So church, church, we want to get your students involved in church, but we also want to get them involved in the student ministry. And you're like, I don't have students. Well, great. We can still see you encourage the rest of our students, invest in them and pour into them. And you might ask, okay, Nathan, now you're just you're stepping on toes. You're meddling. Let me tell you why. It's an incredible story, a video, an incredible story of what happened at camp with one of our young people. He's actually 18 years old graduated high school but he went as a student because his dad gave him a little encouragement watch this video please
1: my name is christopher Uh, i've never really been a religious church goer i've never really gone weekly but my dad had signed my brother up for camp and he kind of i kind of just like shrugged it off i was like okay cool i'm working and he was like well I, i signed you up too i hope you can go and i was like I probably can't, he's like, well, ask the days off, it's church camp, so I asked the days off, I got the days off, I still kinda didn't wanna go, I was kinda hesitant, and he picked me up right before we had to get on the buses. I got here, and I was still kinda hesitant before we got here, once we got here, everybody got in their tribes, it all went good, and then we got to do like our rec activities and stuff like that, and it was, it was so much fun, because I'd never played paintball, and that was fun, because I got to play against my dad, I got to shoot him a little bit, Camp so far has just been, it's been a great experience. The first night of camp, we went to our nightly service and they introduced Pastor Casey and he seemed like a cool guy, he was so funny. And then he kind of got serious and the stories that he was telling just kind of like they were hitting me, like deep. And it just clicked. Like I got goosebumps during the service, during the prayers and I had to give my life to Christ. I had to do it. So I stood up when he asked, I went up to the front and he prayed over us, and I gave my life to Christ that night. When I get back home, I definitely want to change some things up about my life. I want to start going to church every week, and then I want to serve on top of that during the week, like first Wednesday, all that stuff. I want to help the church grow as much as it already is, and I want to be a part of that growth. This church has changed my life for the better, and I hope it can change your lives too.
0: And here's the neat thing about that. I stand before you today and say that since camp, he has attended 100% of the time. (laughs) Y'all are like, way to go. It's only been once. It's not that big of a deal. But he was here today. He was greeting at the front door, and he was excited to be here. So God's already changing his life. So what would have happened if dad wouldn't have said, hey, man, you don't really get a vote? Would his life have been changed forever? Yeah, it probably could have, but... We don't know because God chose to use that moment with the relevant camp speaker and with friends that he knew and loved. He developed some relationships and he gave his life to Christ because God, because his dad said, you're going to go to student ministry. And so parents, church, I want us to think about that and help in that in whatever way you can. So you still might ask the question, why, why, why me? Why do I not give my kids a vote to come to church, kids ministry, whatever it is? Let me give you an example. I'm standing in front of the stage at my church. Just got finished with the announcement. I'm talking to people, high fiving some students, and all that kind of stuff. And this man comes up to me. He says, Hey, Nate, listen, I'm having a really hard time with my son. I knew him pretty well, I knew his son really well. And I said, man, I'm so sorry, man. What can I do? How can I pray for him? How can I be there for him? And he says, man, I, I just, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I said, hey man, let's do this. I don't want to like set up a counseling appointment. Like, that's just gonna intimidate him. he's not, he's gonna cross his arms and check out. I don't want that, man. I want to be able to develop a relationship with this guy because I know him, I know him pretty well, but at the same time, if I called him, and said, hey man, let's get some coffee, he'd be like, all right, what's up? Then I get dad call you. I said, Why don't you do this? Have him come to student ministry, and then after he comes to student ministry, at the end, I'll be like, hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's hang out. And then it's not like forced by you. And he said, man, I don't I don't really want to I don't really want to make him go to student ministry. And for the first moment ever, I was grateful my kids hated church. You're like, okay, that's just weird. I know. Let me finish. Because my daughter's standing right there, and she didn't want to go to church that day. And then I remembered back a few months earlier, and my son, he's a little crazy red-headed fireball. He's kind of like a little childhood terrorist. Um <laughs> But he's a lot of fun and he's crazy and he's awesome and all this kind of stuff. Well, when we would take him to church when he was three and four years old, it was around that time, he literally, like, we'd have him in our arms and he'd be kicking and screaming. And if you're in arm reach, like, you're going to get clocked in the face or something like that. I mean, it was brutal. But we, we never missed, like, hey, this is going to be hell this morning, but we're going to go. And so, like, he'd get to the door, and they'd have a gate. He'd, like, rip the gate off. And I'm like, what's this kid possessed with? Like, how? I can't even open that thing. And he ripped it off. Don't judge me. Um, and so he, like, rips it off. And then the best part of this is funny. I remember watching this a couple times. So mom would run, my wife, would run down the hall. And then he'd run after her. And then the teacher would run after him. And so everybody's like, what is going on here? And so I remember carrying him and like people would like talk under their breath and judge me and stuff like that and I just, I, I don't care. I mean, I, I, when I, there's nothing, I'm bringing my kid to church whether he's yelling and kicking and screaming or not and it was one of those moments where you're like, I'm the pastor, so I got to smile. You know what I'm saying? It's so, like I do one of those fake smiles. like, hey, hey, good to see you. Oh, oh my son hit me like, hey. It, yeah, I know my mouth's bleeding. It's okay. And then, and they're talking to their breath, and I'm like, hey, I really just want to slap you in the name of Jesus. Um, and it was, it was awful. It really was. But then I sat there with this man, and, and my daughter's sitting next to me, and I lean over to her. She didn't want to go to church that day because she hated church. The times have changed, but she hated church. I leaned over to her, and I said, London. What would you learn in class today? And I leaned in her ear and I said, you mess this up, you're going to lose happiness for the rest of your life. <laughs> and she's like, what? Okay. And I said, I said, hey, tell me what you learned in class today. And so in about 30 to 45 seconds, she tells the entire story of Joseph. I can't do that. Because she went to something she didn't want to go to. And she enjoyed it and she loved it. And the next week, guess what? She still hated it. So there will be challenges, I promise you. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 12, 11, talking about discipline. Raising a child in the way she should go, that's discipline. It says this, no discipline seemed pleasant at the time. It was not pleasant, I promise you. They hated it, and I really wanted to hate them for it. I tried to give them away, nobody would take them, it was awful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, it really was painful. Later on... I love that. It's so natural. Later on, that's where I am now and my kids love church. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline's hard. And it's difficult. And guess what? They're not going to walk with Christ instantly. It might even take when they're old. It might even take years down the road of them rebelling for them to come back to it and go, "Oh yeah, that was the happy life. That was joy." I remember with discipline with me, like I I said to my friend once, his name's Nathan as well, he said, hey, Nate. I said to him, I said, hey, man, I want to get in shape. Don't ever say that to a friend, by the way. (laughs) And he says, I'm starting a boot camp. Oh, man, you got to come. It's at 6 o'clock a.m. every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And I looked at him, and I said, never talk to me again. (laughs) And I walked off. I deleted his number from my phone. I blocked him on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I was so mad at him. Two weeks later, we started the boot camp. And I got up at 5 a.m., and I'm like, oh, this is awful. And so I get to the, it was actually at the church, and I get there, and I'm like, what in the world? And so about 30 to 45 seconds in, um, I was like, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. And I texted my wife, and I said, goodbye, hun. And, um, and, I, and I called the Lord. I called the Lord. I prayed. To, I don't know what you're doing here. I, I prayed. This, sorry about that. I, I prayed to the <laughs> What just happened? <laughs> I prayed to the Lord, and I said, I said Jesus, listen. If you came back right now, I'd be okay with it. And I prayed again. I said, Jesus, come back right now. And I remember that voice that says, anything you pray in the name of Jesus, it'll happen. And I'm like, come on, Lord. And he didn't come back. I was so upset. Um, but then guess what? What happened? Two, three, four weeks later, I start losing some weight. I start getting in shape. People started to notice. They started to compliment me. I felt good about myself. I looked in the mirror, and I was like, yeah. I'm feeling my muscles and all that kind of stuff. My wife starts to notice you know what I'm saying, men? Like that's always a good sign when your wife starts to notice you're in shape. And I was like, man, this was not pleasant for the time, but painful. But then within time it started of produce a harvest of righteousness. Same way with our kids. Same with our way with our students that you see in the atrium. Same way with your kids that are in your home, your grandkids, the neighbors that you have near you. When they're old, they will come back around to what they know is true. Say you're sitting there and you're like, man, I really want to apply some of these things or maybe use some scripture to teach in my home. Let me give you two verses or passages that you can use and you can teach yourself if you don't have any kids. You can teach your husband and wife if y'all don't have any kids. If y'all got a huge family, these apply to anyone. It's great passages for life but especially for parenting as well. Deuteronomy 6, the whole chapter, it's a beautiful passage. I'd love to go through it right now, but we'd be here for another hour, and y'all probably all walk out and I would understand. The next is Proverbs 1 through 7, really the the whole book of Proverbs. But at the same time, this is really David discipling his son. In fact, you see Solomon's writing it, but he's talking about what his dad said to him throughout all these years. And it's poetry once again, but he's telling him what to do. He's like, Dad, son, don't do this. And he says, my son a lot. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Don't go here. She's doing this. Don't do that. And it's just great lessons for life, but also for parenting. Apply those to your family in your life, and you will be able to live with Christ more effectively. Here's the mission statement for our student ministry. Very similar to the mission statement of our church. We will do whatever it takes to see a student come to know Christ and walk with him daily. Whatever it takes, short of sin. We will do whatever it takes to see a student come to know Christ and walk with him daily. And so you're like, well, how? How are you going to do that? Well, we desire that every student walks with God. So we've created an acronym called WALKS. It's real simple. Read the word, W word. Read the word daily. A is attend weekly. Attend church and student ministry weekly. Don't miss. L is live right. Live righteously. Make the right decisions. K is keep inviting your friends to church and to Christ. S is to serve regularly. We're already seeing students do that two days after camp when they came came to know Christ because we stuck this in their mind. I had a, a student. It was pretty incredible. His name was Joel. He goes to this campus. He said to me, he said, hey, man, I'm teaching a student, a friend of mine, how to walk with God, and I'm bringing him back to Christ. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what it's all about. It really is. And something we got to understand, I'm going to give you a quick take-home, and then we're going to talk about an invitation real quick. I want to invite you to something, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be dismissed. You cannot lead someone else to walk with God if you are not walking with him first. So a couple of real quick take-homes that you can apply to your life is this, real quick. You can have a family devotional, whether you're single or you've got plenty of kids. Dig into Scripture and talk about it as a family or as an individual. And that could be something as simple as writing a verse on the wall and talking about it all week. My family didn't have a, a devotional every single night of the week. We don't, we don't make the time for that. I, I can't say we don't have the time for that. We don't make the time for that. We probably do it about once every week, once every other week. But we write verses on the wall. We've got verses all over the house, and we talk about them regularly. Second thing is this. Commit your kids to prayer daily. In church, that's you. That's not parents. We need to pray for our students we need to pray for this next generation. Number three is real simple, is get involved in the next generation ministry. I want to go to our big board real quick. This is pretty incredible. So two weeks ago, Pastor Bill stood up here. He stood on that ladder, and I thought he was going to fall every time he got up there. Um, inside, I was kind of hoping he did. Is that wrong? Is that sinful? Yeah, it probably is. Not if he get hurt, but it'd be really funny to watch in a video in the future. Okay, I'm probably going to get fired. Um, but he stood up here, and he said, we need 700 volunteers. 700 volunteers. So in the first weekend, I think it was about 480 people signed up. It was pretty incredible. And he said, you know what? To really reach our goal, we went back to the board. We're going to need 1,000 volunteers. So in two weeks' time, we got 1,143 volunteers. It's incredible. We put our goal visible... We held ourselves accountable and we challenged ourselves regularly, and then we reached the goal that we thought that God was calling us to do. And so if you're one of those 1,143 or you still want to get involved, here's what you need to do. You need to go to wearechurchandlimitedcom slash volunteer training and go to the next steps. And maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I'd love to pour into our students or our kids. Man, we've got some needs. We really do across all of our campuses. You could be in San Antonio thinking the same thing. Like, man, I want to get involved in our kids' ministry. Go to our website. We'd love to get you more plugged in because we've got some huge needs. And you can get involved in any of our ministries. Start a college ministry in the fall. We'd love to get you plugged in. Let me tell you one more story and we're going to be dismissed. or We're going to get some announcements. There's a young man named Juan. Pretty incredible young man. He's a sixth grader. He's at camp. He might be at our Westside campus right now. He's one of our Westside students. Two months ago, about a month and a half, two months ago, He finds out that his mom's going to prison. I can't imagine that. But he finds out his mom's going to prison. He visits her in prison. His heart's broken. And then what happens a week, two weeks later, he finds out about camp and he says, Grandma, I really want to go to camp. She says, we don't have the money for you to do that. He says, well, how can we raise the money? And so he says, let's bake some food, and I'll go door-to-door and sell it. So he goes door-to-door and starts selling baked goods. He goes to school, starts selling baked goods as well. And then before you know it, they have almost $200. Like this little sixth-grade boy raised $200. And then here's the neat thing is you, the church, all campuses, stepped up and provided scholarship money, so he was able to tap into that scholarship fund to get to go to camp. That first night of camp, listen to what he said. This is incredible. So he's sitting there the first night of camp, and he says... I need to give my life to Christ because it's time for me to quit hiding from God and give my life to Christ. Church, listen to this verse. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Just open open up your heart to what God wants to do right here. You may sit there and say, you know what, I'm just like that sixth grader. I'm going to be challenged by an 11-year-old today. I need to quit hiding from God. Because you know that you've sinned and, and you've rejected God with your life and you just want to give your life to him. Because you don't want to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. You say, I want to give my life to Christ for the first time, the only time, and the last time. So if that's you and you just want to give your life to Jesus right now, you want to ask Jesus into your heart, I just want you to raise your hand in the air. In Rockport, Rodfield, wherever you are, raise your hand. That's awesome. shovel of you all over this room. All campuses. You can put your hand down. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer, but what this prayer does is it's you voicing from the bottom of your heart that you want to ask Jesus in your heart and you want to surrender everything to Him. You want to turn from your past and turn to the new, which is Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray as a congregation, as a church across all campuses. And if you repeat after me, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross. Please forgive me of my sin and give me a home in heaven. I turn from my past. I turn from my present, and I turn from my future, and I give it all to you. Please come into my heart and live with me forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Isn't God good? (laughs) He really is.